So I'm listening to the kids sing, or actually not the kids, I'm listening to the kids go. I'm listening to us sing and David lead, and I was just, um, I was just uh, listening, listening to his question, who can stop the Lord Almighty? I mean, our God is the lion. He's the lion of Judah. He's fighting our battles. He's the king of glory. He's the lamb that was slain for the world, which is good news, but he is the lamb who laid down his life for you and for me, which is extraordinarily personal news. And then then we started singing again, um, you know, who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who who can stop this amazing God? Um, This is a good answer. Every knee will bow before him and every... Um, voice will cry out of his worth that all honor and dominion and power and glory is his. So who, who can stop that God? Thank you. <laughs> and I was, so I just opened the scripture. This is all completely free and unprepared um, for this moment and yet fully prepared. I just started to think of Romans, the, the eighth chapter, and just reading it. So I don't have a lot to add to this. I just want to read it if we're going to answer that question in this room. And we're going to build our lives on the um, power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, what, are, what are we then to say about these things? Listen, if God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, that's like a hallelujah. Are you kidding me? This is the God who did not spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also then grant us everything for the sake of his glory? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? He is fighting our battles for us. And so I I really went to the next section of the verse because I'm like, God, I think it's just this truth that a lot of us are sitting in the middle of glorious messes on this earth thinking we're singing this. I don't know if we believe this. And so here's what he says. It's God who, who brings an accusation against the elect. God is the one who justifies you. There is a beautiful gospel truth for you. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more, was raised from the dead. And after he was raised from the dead, ascended into the heavenlies. And now at this very moment, as we're singing those lyrics, wondering if they could be true, is interceding and looking from the right hand of the Father and saying, Oh God, that they would hear and believe. And oh God, that your spirit would stir up within them. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? There's hallelujahs for you a moment. And so, unless we're not really clear on that, who could separate us from the love of Christ? Affliction? Distress? Persecution? Famine? Nakedness? Danger of the sword? For heaven's sakes, no. This is our Lord. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who is fighting our battles? And more importantly, what we should establish in this moment has fought the battle for the eternal desire of our soul and has staked us for those who are in Christ fully just before the God the Father. Praise God. So in all these things then, here's who you and I are. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Glory to God. And here's where I'm persuaded about that even death cannot stop the Lord God Almighty. Nor angels or rulers, nor things present, whatever your present circumstance is, nor things to come, whatever you're going to venture into. For who can stop the Lord Almighty? Not persecutions, neither heights nor debts, not powers, 
Not things to come, nor things created. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. You know, I was, I was just sitting and singing that song and thinking, oh God, this is a song that makes me happy. David Hall makes me happy. Um, I'm watching Carson just rip the guitar. That makes me happy. I went back to the Hebrew word last week and thought, let the instruments just go for the glory of God. And then I started thinking of Jesus Christ and the truth of his scripture. And I became more than happy. I became resolute in the gospel and the power of Jesus Christ. And nothing to answer the question can stop the Lord Almighty, nor um, can halt his people who faith in him. And that's, that's really where I want to live. And if I could just transition um, the songs to the sermon. Um, then we sang a song that said, Lord, I'm going to build my life on the transformational reality of your truth. And if you're with us for the last few weeks, we're in the third chapter of the book of Philippians. And I would just like to proffer two thoughts for us this morning to say to the Lord, we want to mature here. We want to grow here. God, we want your truth to establish us so that our lives are built on something much deeper than our current circumstance. Because what I think the scripture was saying and Paul was saying um, in the eighth chapter of the book of Romans is... Um, actually, if you read the 8th chapter of the book of Romans or the book of Romans in general, they are walking through persecutions, trials. Um, they, as a people of Israel who are coming into the kingdom of Christ, are being burned at the stake. They are being burned at the flame of the pleasure of Nero, literally being lit so that he can have parties. And he is saying in this verse, look, I know that these circumstances in a temporal manner are coming against us, but who can stop the Lord Almighty when your life is built upon him? I mean, who could stop the Lord Almighty when you are crying out from the flames and really ultimately writing the hymns of the church as Thomas the Doubter did, singing out of the glory of God from the flames of men, and it became a song for the church of Jesus Christ in the early days of the church. I mean, who, who can stop the Lord Almighty? And so in Philippians, the third chapter, it just says, so build your life here lest you um, begin to work and live and move and be as a result of the current circumstance. Paul says in Philippians, the third chapter, verse 15, um, he says, uh, I'm not there, so pause with me for a second. Uh, he says these words in chapter 3, verse 15. He says, look, I want you to know this. The people who are mature, they're going to think this way. They're going to think um, not about the past or even the present, but they're going to think about the future glory of the kingdom of Christ. And um, if you're thinking differently, I just want you to grow in the maturity and the reality of what it means to bring God near. And, and I want you to live in a heart of holy hallelujah. And so um, I would like to just say this prayer for us and then move forward and share two thoughts and ask the Lord to amplify those thoughts in our hearts. So I think I'm talking to Jesus already. So Holy Spirit, I pray that through your um, ability to provide us with wisdom that we um, cannot achieve ourselves, that you would... Uh, you would do something magnanimous this morning. And I pray, Father, that you would use a broken vessel that you've already done. Our instrumentalists, our praise song leaders. God, I, I thank you that you use us in all of our brokenness for all of your wholeness. And God, now I stand as a very um, extraordinarily weak vessel simply saying, God, I pray that you would do something powerful that only you could do. Take your word um, spoken through your scripture and... Um, illuminated by my voice. And God, I pray that you would just 
speak to each one of us individually and speak to us corporately for the sake of your name and your glory. Mature us in our faith, God. Build our lives upon the truth of who you are. And God, we would then be a people of, of glorious hallelujahs. It's in Jesus' name that we hold fast and we, we pray that we mature. Amen. One of the things that we um, have shared over the last few weeks is that um, our maturity and, and our building of our life is, is for the benefit of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And um, as Rick so aptly shared with me a week or two ago in a meeting with um, leadership in the city, it's really said the role of maturity, the Greek word translating maturity, is to take something or someone for us to take the living God through Jesus Christ in his spirit and that which seems far to many people, we bring him near because of who we are in Christ. And so it's our whole role to say, God, use us to to build our lives upon you and then to bring what seems far to folks and bring him near. And so I'm praying that he is maturing us as a body of believers through the study of his word, that he is growing us in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. And here's, here's what I love about the picture of the church. Um, the church can grow and we can imagine, I think in fact, I we tend to imagine the growth of a church in this way, that there are some um, miraculous numbers of new people that walk in the church, come to faith in Christ by grace through his spirit. And um, I think all of us would amen that growth, that God would use his spirit through us to touch an unbelieving world and have those who are currently far draw near to him. There's a second way, though, that he says that he grows his church and he does it by describing us as his people. And so I want you to understand that um, this isn't necessarily for those who are out there who will one day be in here. It's for those of us in here to mature in the faith. He describes us as the church of Jesus Christ as living stones. And here's what he means by that in the book of Hebrews. He's saying, look, as you mature... As you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and take the things that have been um, amplified to your soul through Philippians, the third chapter, if you will, or as you venture through scripture and those things come alive in you, you are a living stone, meaning the church does grow by adding a number, but the church grows also as the body of believers mature in our faith. So right now we're stretching ligaments as we speak. Our mind is is focused on Christ as we grow in his grace and knowledge. And I don't know if that excited you. I was reading that and singing Build My Life and thinking, God, you're growing our church right now together as we circle into your word and ask you to build our lives based on truth. As we ask you, as we have in the last weeks in verse 16, God, let us live to where we've attained. The scripture I put is life with God moves toward God. And I just... We're not going to reteach that. But God, let us live to who we are in Christ because life in maturity moves not only toward him, it moves with him. I mean, there's this, there's this sense in our hearts. There's this passion of our soul that we have not attained it yet and we are not where we want to be. But oh God, that you would grow us in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. If, if we're maturing in that way and living stones... We've come around the power of the Spirit of God through his scripture when he says, let all of us who, have, who are mature live where we are. Let us not, if, if we're thinking differently, reveal this to us. Let us live to the truth of what we've attained. And then he goes on and says, and by the way, as you attain this, this is something you share among yourselves. So imitate me as I follow Jesus, powerful truth and reality. Come and, come and follow my example and imitate me. Pay um, 
pay extraordinary attention to people around you who are walking out this faith. And that means this becomes not just an individual pursuit of maturity in Christ, but it becomes a body of, belief, body of believers being built into a house for the sake of the glory of God, living stones, this house becoming massive for his namesake. And I, I, for me, that, that just moves my soul. And then he begins to say some profound things in verse 18 and verse 20 that I would just like to park on for a few minutes today. In verse 18, when he says, follow me, be passionate for the things that I'm about, whatever you've obtained, imitate me, pay careful attention for this is the reason. I've often told you and now say with tears that many around us live as enemies of the cross. It's the gospel of Jesus. Life with God doesn't just move toward God and with God. Life with God isn't just shared community. It is all of those things. But the purpose of our shared community, I just wrote this in my notes, that life with God is compelling. And I I have yet to figure out a sentence that does justice to this. You're welcome to write your own sentence because I believe verse 18 of the third chapter of the book of Philippians is more than the word compelling. I think that life with God shatters our soul when we meet people who are apart from God. I think that life with God and a passion for God, when we hear or have the visual illustration that we had last week, that this journey that we have as a church and as a people is so that we telescope in a God who seems far and we draw him near Because we understand, as the scripture kept on saying, that there are many who surround us who don't yet know him. He describes them in many extraordinary ways. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their destruction. Their their glory is their shame. Their end is destruction. That should behoove us. It should trouble us. Um, I don't know what all words I can use. It should disturb us. It should move us to say, God, we want to work through this this ladder, if you will, of passion for your kingdom. I I don't think that we will arrive at verse 18 until we've made application of verses 12 through 17. I don't think you're going to conjure a care for the lost until you wrap your heart around what Paul said in verses 10 through 12. I don't look backwards. I look forward. I'm not there. I'm pursuing the reality of Christ. The passion of my soul is to move to the heart of God. I want to grow in maturity and I am committed to that. There are some things that I have learned that I haven't applied yet and I am going to think differently. I'm going to put them into action in my soul. That's stewardship and obedience. There are people around me that need to see God draw near and I understand that. So I am going to walk that out and more importantly, I'm going to recognize the stewardship and the power of the reality of the truth of maturity that God has given me. And I'm going to look at other people and say, follow me and you'll meet Jesus. And in doing so, I'm going to look at others and say, I'm paying attention to you. Show me how to walk out this faith and what we begin To understand in our maturity is that we hold with trembling hands a sacred trust of the kingdom of Christ. And we hold an extraordinary calling to join him in the ministry of reconciliation. And then we land at verse 18 saying, look, there are people that surround you that need you to take a God who seems far and draw him near. And we, we don't reach verse 18 by a pastor's sermon or guilt. We reach it by a love relationship with Jesus Christ that is real, mature, personal, and life-altering. 
We reach it by saying, Lord, we have, we have seen you and we've seen your glory and we love you for who you are and we love you for what you want to do. I think this is expressed uniquely. I, I, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed the past few weeks. I enjoyed um, the illustration of a 101-year-old lady who fleshed this out for us and said, I, I am 101 and I am praying that the kingdom of Christ, and it, his name will be carried across the nations. And I just, I, I love a friend of mine who was in, um, in Central Asia and who's now, I don't know where he is now. I can't imagine he stayed in America long, but who just really said, why is this worth it for me? It's worth it because I just want them to know my Jesus. And so I will run a printing press and live an extraordinarily high-risk situation for the sake of the gospel of Christ. I I love that 20 people every day for the last week are sitting around with this mystery box. And I don't think, um, I I don't, that's not not so unfair. Because I don't have, this box is so awesome for me because in one week it it will leave this building, go to Atlanta... And then about a week or two after that, it will scatter across the world. And so like this treasure in truly a jar of clay of the gospel will go all over the world. And all it took for us is a dollar store visit and a few minutes. And I mean, we're just passionate about this thing. So much so that um, Miss Margaret Anderson and Miss Martha Jones are going to go to Atlanta to take the next step. Because it's not good enough that they leave Jacksonville. They're going to make sure they leave Atlanta and scatter all over the world. I'm, I, I love what you guys are doing, Miss Margaret. I'm praying for the two that are going this year because that means the ten will go next year and more and more. Just saying, God, this is this is beautiful. I, I think we do things like this because we're we're captured by the gospel. I don't want you to get lost and I have to pack up my family and go. I think you have to say, I want my family to love the cross and I want to shed tears for the sake of the gospel. I was Susan and I were in a particular point in life where. Um, where we just, uh, we just really were burdened and, and into our city. And so these are decisions. I don't say this for any amplification of our name. Just as we, as we read this, these are some of the thoughts that we have. Um, in our city where we live for 18 years and all five of our kids were born, it's, the city is called Crestview, Florida. Um, it's in the Panhandle and uh, it's, a good, it's a sweet town. And, and in fact, two of our staff members are born there. All five of my kids are born there. And so um, we... we uh, we were studying through the book of Romans um, as a verse-by-verse study. And simultaneously, uh, Scott Dawson, who's a, an evangelist, came to our city. And Susan and I were sitting with um, a group of people who went to be trained to share the gospel uh, in light of what was going to happen in an outdoor gathering and festival in our city. It was pretty beautiful and powerful. And when we um, left... One of the gatherings, we stood in the parking lot and we ended up talking to the Buckaloo family who um, is with us to our right or, or to our left, if you face the house, the Wise family, uh, the family across the street, the family in the corner. Um, our entire two circles were not just followers of Jesus, but they, um, they were followers who were leading other people to follow Jesus. And so we, we just felt like uh, we were living in the wrong place. And so we, we put our house up for sale and said, we're, we're going to go to a place that are building new houses into a new subdivision to meet new people because the gospel prevails. And we didn't move to another city. We didn't move to another place. We moved to a place where the gospel could prevail in our hearts because we realized that most people around us were in every sense of the word satisfied with Jesus. They were in love with Jesus. 
And so we did. And spent the last four or five years of our life in that home. And we watched out of that neighborhood five home groups just come to being. And we just love it. I, I think when you read this, I don't want you to read and go, there's big stories. It's, it's willingness to go buy a box. It's willingness to say, I live in a city and I found that everybody around me knows Jesus. I need to move. That's probably not happening here in Jacksonville for most of you and your neighbors. You just probably need to barbecue and get to know them. And start building bridges and friendships with them. Because when you are, when you are um, mobilized for the sake of the gospel, it's just this, this declaration of God, I have told you and now say with tears that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I, I don't want to finish my thought because I almost left out the most profound part. The thing that moved us wasn't looking in the eyes of our neighbors and realizing they knew Jesus. The thing that moved us was the seventh chapter of the book of Romans. When Paul says, I would rather die or be separated from Christ than have my fellow Israelites not know him. I would rather move heaven and earth for the sake of the cross of Jesus Christ than allow people around me whose path is destruction, whose God is their stomach, and who are living passionately for their namesake. I, Paul said, would rather die and I would rather sacrifice my own faith, which he ultimately knew he could not do because of the justifying work of Jesus. But his heart was so impassioned that he said, how do I live any other way except for the sake of the gospel? John Knox said this about his home country. He said, I love John Knox. Give me Scotland, Lord, or I die. And here's the question that I would ask for you is, what is your give me or God? The kingdom of Christ will not prevail. Where is your, where is your Scotland? Because a maturing believer in Jesus is saying, first of all, I'm growing in maturity and I'm not satisfied where I am yet. I am willingly asking you, God, to completely reshape my life. And so my life is deeply steeped in the truth of your word. And God, as I grow in the grace and knowledge of you, I'm becoming abundantly aware of the people around me and I am asking them to imitate me. And I'm asking them to imitate me because I have people that I imitate. And as I look at those that I imitate and how, listen, listen, this is for the church. As I look at those who I imitate and who are deeply passionate, I realize just how deeply bereft those who are apart from Jesus. And I, I, would, I would ask that maybe of the church, and this is just kind of striking me, is do we, do we have such a robust power of the Spirit of God and maturity of believers that is that's effervescent in this room so that there is a drastic difference that moves our hearts because our God is not our stomach. Our God is not. Our path is not destruction and our passion is prevailing and so it should be extraordinarily different and, and it should be extremely impassioned for us to say, Lord, I, I want to live among enemies of the cross lifting up that banner and telling them that they can be a friend of, of God. That's the that's the passion. That's the hallelujah moment, just so you know. Like, hallelujah, Lord, let that be. And I, I, um, I had an illustration I think I've already illustrated. I just, this is soulful sacrifice. This is those who stand in hope and move with hope. Paul said there's extremely different priorities for me as I walk this earth. And I have an urgency for the sake of the gospel. Because here's what I really want to do. I want to take what seems far, and I want to draw it near. 
I was, I was sitting in, and, and Cindy, um, in our class week, last week, I think, said something that is so dear to my soul. She was talking about her prior church in Washington, D.C., and just said there's something that, that is unending in the church that we came from in D.C., is that we just shared with one another we should teach and preach the gospel to ourselves over and over. So I, I just, Cindy, taking you up on that, and, um, and I, I just would love to end this message in this series. Um, we're going to return to chapter 4 in January. But I would just love to end this series looking at um, how God do you, how do you want to just center us so that we can, we can know that you are transforming our bodies. Verse 21 says, Our humble condition into the likeness of this glorious body. It's the power of God that enables us everything to subject everything to himself. In verse 20 it says, God, our citizenship is in heaven. And we're so eager as we wait for a Savior. We're so passionate as we wait for the Savior. Our passion is holy waiting. Our conviction is, is to take what is far and to draw it near. And our joy is the gospel in the in-between. Paul says um, of us in verse 20 of this, our citizenship is in heaven. I feel like I, feel like I just, um, I, don't, I, can't, I, I cannot do justice to this. I feel like I want to take what Ephesians says. I want to be seated in the heavenlies with Christ. And, and I want to look around a little bit and come back and respond on earth as if I'm seated in heaven. And I, I, I think that's what Paul meant when he was saying of this idea that, yes, um, I am going to live for the sake of the gospel because um, I want to wrap all of this around. Oh, God, give us these people. Give me Israel or I die. Give me Gentiles where Paul ultimately went or I can't imagine life. But he did this because he said, I'm living in the heavenlies and I have this vision of the heavenlies at all time. And a lot of my life does not make sense on this earth. But when I am making sense, I am coming and speaking of what's happening there. I'm speaking it here. And I don't know that we are pilgrims here recognizing our citizenship is there. We live more like people who are planted here and we may have a hope that goes up there. But here's how you walk this earth so that you are saying like John Knox, give me Scotland or I die. You walk this earth saying, oh God, I live planted in the heavenlies. And once in a while I glance down here and speak something that makes sense of where I live. And so a a logical question in our step toward maturity is, do you see yourself as a citizen of heaven or are you making making your way through this earth as if this is home? This is it. And if that is, I'm so sad for you. And Paul would say that too. I'm so sorry. This is it? Seriously? I want so much more. And God is saying there is so much more in store. And so when I'm seated in heaven, what do I see? I see bringing that kingdom to earth. That's what Jesus prayed. I just want to be absorbed in the gospel. This is my Thanksgiving note. And so I'm going to read notes now because I just want to read scripture for a while. Paul writes in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2, and I think it's available for the screen. I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, who, who's he talking to right now? Paul's, Paul's talking to those who have been justified in Christ, those who believe. Those who were once dead and those who have been raised from the spiritual death into the life of Jesus Christ. He's rescued them through the power of the cross. It's a people who, Romans 10 would say, have confessed through their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in the heart that he has been raised from the dead and therefore they are saved. I, I, this sentence has moved me, and I am blanking on who wrote it. It was not original with me. Um, it's, it's uh, gosh, I, I'm terrible. 
Here's the sentence. Paul had this habit, and it's on the screen. Paul had this habit of proclaiming over and over the gospel to those who already knew the gospel. He says in Romans 1, I want you to know, in verses 13 through 15, I've often planned to come to you, but I've been prevented until now, in order that I could have a fruitful ministry on you. Here's why. Here's why. So I am eager to preach to God, the gospel to those also who are in Rome. I, I wanted to come to you and I keep being prevented. Here's my purpose. I want to come and preach and speak the gospel to you. He says the same thing in Ephesians, Philippians, Galatians, Colossians. We could stand and read the scripture. I want you to hear this again. Paul had this extraordinary habit. This could become a habit among our fellowship. Over and over, he preached the gospel to those who already knew the gospel. Hallelujah, you know? I just want to come and make confession of the glorious wonder of God in 1 Corinthians 15, coming back to it. Now, I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I've preached to you, which you have received, past tense, which you now stand, present tense. Hallelujah. I mean, for those of us in the room who have come to receive Jesus Christ, you stand fully justified and redeemed as a citizen of heaven, maturing in your faith. That's who you are in this present moment. Like, hallelujah. I mean, it's such good news. In which you stand, and by verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 15, by which you are ongoing being saved. Like day in and day out. This is what Paul said. This is what I I just want to preach. The gospel not only saves us, it sustains us. The gospel is the establishing work of our citizenship. Glory to God. The gospel holds us together. It unites us. It fills us. It makes us whole. And perhaps when that's not happening, it's because we're not preaching the gospel to ourselves, to one another, and to the world. Ephesians 2.13 says this, But now those who are in Christ, who were once far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And they are maturing in their faith. We've been brought near. And this, listen, this is powerful. We've been brought near not by our good work. This is so important for religious people to hear this. So important for people like me who grew up from negative nine months in the womb to hear this. You weren't brought near to God by your good habits. I was not brought near to God because my granny and papa loved Jesus. I was not brought near to God because my mom, who was in the room, loved Jesus. They demonstrated pictures of this and they showed me who he was. I was brought near and made whole with God by the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's such a powerful hallelujah moment. I am thankful for those who made clear the cross, but I have been brought near by the gospel. And the marker of whether you believe this or not is when you stumble or far away how you respond to the gospel. Because a lot of us are in this room at this very moment, including myself as I even say these words We are kind of hiding from things from God and saying, God, we come, you know, kind of preserving this little portion of who I am or a little fearful of what might happen if I am honest with you about this or careful with our worship before you. And the Lord is saying, look, I formed you. I knew you before the foundation of the the earth. As you were being formed together, I was doing the knitting. I am kind of familiar with your ways. I already know your days. You and I are intimate in all of our ways. And so, 
if you understand me for who I am, you will come hard after me and you will chase me and you will respond to me in repentance and hope and glory of the gospel. And a lot of us in this room kind of go, God, I want to hide this part from you. And the Lord's saying, maturity will just be that we sort this. This is Romans, Philippians 2, that we work out your salvation with the fear and trembling that it deserves. And that you allow me to work within you for the good purposes of God's glory. So that you can walk in those things. And you can live out who he is and what he's done. The power of gospel is found in our new covenant. In Hebrews 9 it says he's the mediator of the new covenant. So that those who are called can receive the promise of the internal inheritance. Since a death has taken place for redemption of transgressions committed under the first covenant. I'm not looking back. Not looking backwards at a prior statement. I look at the present truth of who I am. I have been redeemed by the power of the cross. I have been justified by God as a citizen of him. When I um, taught on justification out of the book of Romans, I, I think it took about five minutes to gain composure. I'd been so um, deeply saturated in the powerful meaning of that singular word when we understand that a legal transaction was made by the power of the declaring work of the cross of Christ. And when we embrace that cross, God legally once and forever stamped, it is finished, it is done, the work is complete, it is not your act, your lineage, or your goodness, it is the cross. And you were justified in that cross. And walk in the fullness of that. that. That was so freeing for me as a citizen of his. I'm neither a foreigner or a stranger. I am a fellow citizen with the saints. And I am a member of God's household. Colossians 2 says this. Lest you sit in this room weary or wary of God. He's erased the debt of your sin. Those who have come to know him. It's obligations. They are justified before the living God. I, this, I like this about our Lord. He nailed it to the cross. And in doing so, he went about speaking to rulers and authorities. He triumphed over them. And I love the scripture. He made a public spectacle of them. So the moment that you came to know Christ and were justified, he didn't simply say, thank you so much. I'm glad you're in heaven now. He went before rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. He made a public spectacle of a reality of a newly rescued person into the kingdom of Christ. He stamped and marked you as eternally his. He set you apart as a citizen of heaven. And he said, now go and make no sense in this world, but make sense for the kingdom of Christ. Hallelujah. Glory to God in the highest for that truth and reality. I can have a really good Thanksgiving now. As citizens of heaven, we draw near to the wonder of Christ and our lives are an outpouring of the good of the gospel. And so I would just wrote these, this to myself. Oh, that this was preached among us all the time. So I am with this. We were, we were dead in our sins, but no more. Hallelujah. We've been raised with God in Christ. At this point... For those who are in Christ, we are hidden with Christ in God. Who is going to separate us from that? We are fully forgiven. We are fully freed. To those who the Son has set free, you are free indeed. We are holy and faultless and blameless, not because of your lineage or your works, but because of the righteous work of the living Christ through the cross. 
We are filled with the fruit of righteousness of the living God. We, as a people, have been adopted by God. And that's what makes us citizens of heaven. We are heirs of God. And I just add this to my notes. We are co-heirs with Jesus. That's a pretty good heirship to hold in. We are blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. We are chosen by God. And personally for me, I really enjoy the idea that He chose me. We have been given grace upon grace. The Greek word would be in limitless grace. The grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace that He has lavished upon us. And in this beautiful truth, we have been granted wisdom and understanding so that we could know and be known by the living God. And finally, we are sealed by His Spirit. And actually, that's only my finally, because it's a limitless finally in Scripture. It's a limitless final reality of who we are. Oh, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened through the wisdom and revelation of the Spirit of God, so that we could know the hope of His calling, the wealth of His glorious inheritance. That is Paul's prayer for us. As we come around this truth that, God, we are maturing in you. We are growing in you. We are being transformed by you. Our lives are upended by you. We are following you. People are following us as we follow you. We're following others who follow you. We are broken for the lost. We are growing in your grace and knowledge. We are making, we are making conscious decisions to engage those who are far to draw them near because we are citizens of heaven. Oh, that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened through the wisdom and revelation of the Spirit of God so that we could know the hope of this calling and the wealth of the glorious inheritance of the gospel of Christ. Amen. Oh, Jesus, I pray for us as maturing believers that we would, that we would discover that we would be a people in the scripture you call Bereans, people who delve deeply into your scripture and then teach and share it with one another. Oh God, that you would grow us in maturity as living stones for the sake of your kingdom. Oh God, that there would be a people who are falling in love with you by your grace and for your glory. God, we don't do this without the help of your Spirit. So I join with Paul in his prayer in Ephesians 1, verse 18. God, that you would open the eyes of our heart to receive the wisdom and revelation of your Spirit and your guidance and your maturity. Grow us there. God, that you would open the eyes of our heart to see a world around us that lives and worships their stomach and walks in a path of destruction. God, I pray that the gospel would be something that is loved, heart and soul and mind and strength in this church. And God, I pray for Mandarin Baptists that as we fall in love with the gospel and the person of the good news, Jesus Christ, we would love this city and the nations in a manner that is unprecedented. As we could only imagine. And so, Holy Spirit, steep us in the power of the truth of the gospel. I can't think of a more 